0: On today's episode of The Mythic Masculine.
1: There's a way of inhabiting our bodies and our senses and meeting ourselves in our moment and meeting reality that puts us in touch with what I call the deep feminine current. And when people touch this place and learn how to inhabit that space and live from that space, it feels like home. It feels like we finally are getting in touch with the fulfillment and the nourishment that all of our consumptive behavior is chasing and trying to get, right? That's the existential crisis, the hungry ghost. It's like we are collectively seeking the feminine, seeking, 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 chasing, 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 grasping, 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 yet we do not know how to make contact with her. Because making contact happens in our bodies in the moment.
0: What does it mean to be a man today? The toxic patterns of masculinity are being challenged, and new pathways are just beginning to rise. In the era of Me Too and biospheric uncertainty, how might we look to the old mythologies for guidance to navigate this space between stories? This podcast explores the historical, cultural, and contemporary voices that are shaping this dynamic conversation of the emerging masculinities. Greetings, dear listener. I'm your host, Ian McKenzie. My guest today is Maya Luna, a poet and creator of the Deep Feminine Mystery School. She has also authored a book of poetry, Omega, Feral Secrets of the Deep Feminine, and released a spoken word album, Holy Darkness, a Tantric Opus. In our conversation today, we discuss how to tune into the frequency of the deep feminine through the gateways of the senses. We speak of the historical consequence of literacy on the cultures that venerated the goddess and the subsequent rise of distorted masculinity. We wonder on the original trauma that may illuminate the gender conflict still unfolding today and the madonna horse split that many women and men are seeking to integrate. And finally... Maya shares one of her powerful poems on the truth of feminine power. Before we begin, I wish to let you know about the Mythic Masculine Network. It's an online community of artists, activists, poets, parents, and lovers of mythology, ritual, and wonder. Each week, you can attend online councils, connect with others in our dedicated lodges, and dive deeper into the themes explored in this podcast. Head over to themythicmasculinecom slash network and learn more. And now, enjoy my conversation with Maya Luna. Welcome Maya to the show.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me. Mm
0: i love to begin my interviews by asking the guests to share a little of where they are in this moment, geographically, spiritually, you know, anything that comes to mind so the listener can, can tune in to where you're at in this moment.
1: Mm. Right now, I am sitting in front of a fireplace with a fire that is just embers at this point. And there is a black cat sleeping to the left of me. And the sun is shining. And I am at an undisclosed, mysterious location.
0: (laughs) Beautiful. And how do you feel about this conversation? What's present for you? What's alive in in the possibility of this conversation?
1: Mm. Yeah, I was so excited to come on and talk with you um I've seen a lot of the conversations that you've been having, particularly around around patriarchy and the feminine and um, some of these really important topics that I think are so present for so many people right now at this moment in time 2021 and. I see so many conversations about, about patriarchy and colonization coming from, you know, it's necessary, I think, to speak to race and economical background, ecological background, these sort of more mental conversations that are really necessary, are not my specialty. Um, my specialty really comes from the perspective of the body and from embodiment. And it really, I'm very passionate about sharing this piece of the puzzle. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm excited to get into it. And there's some particular threads that I will bring up and uh, some of what you shared on, on Facebook that really caught my eye. And before we get there, though, I would love to explore a little bit about your background um, from what I've researched is you've called yourself a bikini a poet, Mm -hmm. founder of the Deep Feminine Mystery School, and a teacher of feminine gnosis. Mm -hmm.
1: And I would love
0: to hear a little bit about how does one become you?
1: (laughs) Oh my goodness. Um, Well, first I'll say that uh, I'm, I'm noticing the intimacy of these questions right off the bat. And I'm not used to sort of talking about myself in this way, I sort of have a stream of teachings that I bring forward. And it's impersonal in a certain sense. So I can feel the kind of vulnerability of this invitation. Um, So what I'll say is that I, I, I do call myself a dakini, just in the sense that I feel a very strong connection to the lineage of embodied feminine wisdom carriers. This is what comes through in my teachings this is what comes through in my poetry Um, and my path in life has been pretty unique and unusual i think in many ways i was very instinctively drawn to not attend many of the institutions that most people um, participate in Um, i didn't go to college i didn't graduate high school i didn't train under a guru or a spiritual lineage um a lot of my path has been very feral and direct experience and um a big part of what i teach now in terms of embodiment and contacting what i call the deep feminine current came to me through my work as a sensual body worker so i spent over 10 years doing um body work, touch work, direct experiences with men, teaching them how to drop into this space that I call the deep feminine current of reality. And doing this through embodiment, through sensuality, through the senses and through touch. And through those experiences, I really learned how to engage my body and my perception and my senses in a certain way that makes the feminine or what we might call the goddess or the feminine um it's really like a channel of reality i would say very tangible to me and very potent and it also showed me the ways that most human beings i might even say all human beings whether they're men or women have been entrained in the way that we hold our bodies the way that we inhabit our bodies inhabit our senses in a way that keeps us out of touch with the feminine and i believe very deeply that this is like the existential crisis of our age right now is our collective loss of contact with the deep feminine Mm. and we gain contact or we remember contact or we come back into contact through inhabiting our body and our senses in a new way Mm. So that's a little bit about me.
0: Beautiful. So many, yeah, so many themes I feel that have um, been approached in, in the podcast from different angles and I feel them uh, alive in you and like, and and, mm-hmm. and present in you. And, mm. you know, I'm thinking to a conversation I had with a fellow named Philip Shepherd, who's uh, does a lot of work again with, uh, from the level of embodiment. And, I would love to spend just a little bit more time even on that word. Yeah, what do we mean? Because I do think, you know, depending on who's saying, some listeners might be vaguely, you know, have a sense of what that means. But uh, but sure. I'd love for you to define, well, yeah, what does embodiment mean to you?
1: Absolutely. I think I'm going to answer that question by not directly answering that question, <laughs> but talking about it in a way that I think will answer it. So what i have found and again this is in men and women is that most of us inhabit our bodies in a way that we might call more masculine so uh, we're very penetrative in how we meet the moment and meet reality and meet each other it has a little bit of that conqueror dominator um quality to it we want to do and grasp and know and understand and get on top of reality and this is so so pervasive and so subtly ingrained that we don't even really notice it it's an it's an embodiment that has been handed down i think through generations and it comes from a very deep legacy that began uh, there's a great book called the alphabet versus the goddess Mm. that talks about you know this book yeah oh wow great yeah. oh cool it's very rare that people have read mm-hmm. that book which is really I mean the, the very short simple synopsis is that you know the, the, the goddess temples or the feminine ways of knowing and perceiving reality that human beings used to be so connected with the, the, the desecration of these temples or the demonization of the goddess way co-erose with the written language with linear thinking with linear processes with um, the written word so we have this very intense um imbalance now on our planet we all have are very well versed in masculine ways of knowing and perceiving reality to the detriment of the feminine Mm. and when we start to so bringing it back to the word embodiment so in my body of work i teach people how to inhabit their bodies in a way that is more uh, receiving rather than penetrating. There's nothing wrong. Let me say it very clear. There's nothing wrong with the masculine ways of being in our body and perceiving reality. These are necessary, beautiful aspects of being human. To know, to um, assert, to innovate, to grasp, to understand, to penetrate. These are all beautiful qualities of. of human potential but when we are not in touch with the feminine um it does become that colonizer conqueror dominator and i think again the the existential crisis of our age so in terms of embodiment the most common thing that i hear from people in my work is that it feels like coming home There's a way of inhabiting our bodies and our senses and meeting ourselves in our moment and meeting reality that puts us in touch with what I call the deep feminine current. And when people touch this place and learn how to inhabit that space and live from that space, it feels like home. It feels like we finally are getting in touch with the fulfillment and the nourishment that all of our consumptive behavior is chasing and trying to get right that's the existential crisis the hungry ghost it's like we are collectively seeking the feminine seeking 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 chasing 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 chasing, grasping 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 yet we do not know how to make contact with her because making contact happens in our bodies in the moment And how we be in our bodies. So in terms of embodiment, we have a habituated way, for example, of living on the surface of our body rather than resting into the back of our body. We have a habit of reaching with our senses, taking through our seeing, smelling, tasting, touching, hearing, perceiving, rather than receiving and letting ourselves be deeply touched and impacted by that. Mm. And I think when we start to make contact with, with the feminine what happens is it's very organic and natural our sense of being interconnected with all of life and with each other right not as a concept or a theory that we can understand intellectually but as a direct experience Mm. right we taste this kind of ineffable intimacy and wisdom of our interconnectedness with the source and with each other and the source in all things and with and with nature, right, with with Mother Earth, I think that's the most exaggerated example of this pattern, our relationship to the earth. Yeah,
0: many themes. I'd love to reflect back. Um, I appreciate that a lot. You know, just going back to the book, the uh, alphabet and the goddess. You know, one thing that really struck me in that was this relationship to, or almost the unforeseen consequence of the written word leading to the suppression of the goddess even the witch burnings and and for people to even maybe listening being like wow how does that how do you make that case and at least my understanding is that you know when you have the written word all of a sudden you have something that is now sort of crystallized or outside of the relationality of the moment yes so if we're just talking about religion for example um you know animist understandings of the world are very relational to the place that they're at. And there's, you know, often a very kind of um, rich and necessary uh, reciprocity, right? That goes between, you know, the spirits of place and and tending that relationship. And in that sense, it's like, a, it's an alive cosmology. Whereas suddenly when you have a book um, and you can say, as a lot of the lawmakers did, for example, or the priests would say, no, this is the way, this is the word, right? right. All of a sudden it's like, right. oh, it totally... Um, oppresses or in fact uh you know circumvents the relationality of that culture's culture's intelligence. And so yes. from that perspective, yeah, like for me that landed home when i was like, oh wow, suddenly the the deep mm, relational wisdom of, you know, plants and and healing and all the rest that often women would carry the wise women, you know, had to be swept aside in favor of quote the way. You know, this is the yes. way. And so you know, I guess for me it was quite a like aha to see the kind of unforeseen consequence of something that sounds like a good idea. Oh wow! You know, the written word, printed word, everybody had access to religion now. But uh oh, you know, here comes the, the 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 consequence.
1: Yes, yes, I love what you're speaking to here, and it reminds me it it what arises in me is how the written word and knowledge and knowing and understanding can be quite objectifying. Whereas wisdom transmitted through body, through heart, through senses, through direct experience rather than just intellectual conceptual understanding is quite intimate, right? Yeah. There's an intimacy to wisdom. And I would say that wisdom is a, a feminine principle, you know. That's, that's again the dakini, the, the Im- embodied feminine wisdom, which is different than knowledge, mm. right?
0: Beautiful. You know, I, another thing that came up was um, this idea of again chasing the feminine chasing that thing which maybe you know seems is is right there almost like a mirage and you know I think yes. of uh, again like a in recent technology for example a lot of the virtual spaces that are generated you know from second life you know an actual sort of virtual world that people can project themselves to uh, as well as you know the whole kind of uh abstract digital realm that and again in some ways it's almost it's such a bizarre thing where you were in a pl- in a time when as the biosphere itself is deeply, you know, in disarray, there's almost this like race to try to create a perfect digital copy of that very world as if that's the thing that's actually the achievement. And, yes. and I see like in what you're saying that this kind of masculine um, uh, loss of how to actually come home to it in the body almost wants to generate its substitute in its in its, quote, perfection, but it's not alive. That's right. So it's like a deep tragedy um, that is playing itself out.
1: It is a tragedy. And I think that the the irony or the paradox is that um, getting in touch with the feminine is quite profoundly simple and immediate. We do have a lot of entrained habits, again, in how we be in our body and our senses, to not make contact with what I call that current of reality um but it's quite simple and straightforward and and it is tragic the way that we keep chasing it um and trying to consume it and trying to guard ourselves against it rather than meeting it you know
0: You brought up this word contact as well. And I would love to spend a little time there because I do think this also for me is a key into understanding a kind of um, relational wisdom and and experience in the moment. And I want to relate it also to this, maybe the broader understanding of consent, because when we're talking about relational dynamics, right, and not just between men and women, but um, all humans and even not, you know, more than human, but there's this question around consent, right, is often the kind of leading edge I feel in the moment, of this, you know, it's like, you know, here's how to establish consent in this, say, encounter, right? <laughs> and it has to be ongoing and it has to be present and it has, you know, and it has to be free <laughs> from any coercive dynamics. And, and, and it kind of, and it makes sense. It's kind of like, oh yeah, good, because I see it as a reaction to yes. a lot of trespass and misuse of power. And at the same time, for me, there's actually a much deeper realm, which I've come to understand through my time in places like Tamara uh, and others that actually consent can be achieved but not contact actually that contact is actually a much deeper kind of like co achievement
1: yes yes yeah
0: yeah that's a that's an i'd say an achievement and an attunement you know that that one can establish you know cuz somebody in an, an encounter let's say can can actually say yes okay i approve you know i agree with this maybe their body isn't though yeah maybe maybe there's actually a deeper um, element that if, if there's an attunement to those in that encounter, right, they can be on on the side of that, which again is just much deeper than consent. And so I just feel like I'd love to hear you, you know, share a little of that.
1: I love, I love this question. I love this question. What comes through when you're when I hear you speaking to that is that yes, the realm of making agreements on on the mental Plane is again a very masculine way of knowing and perceiving reality. Also essential and important and good and necessary. And I would say that the feminine realm is much more underground, unseen. It's the realm of attachment, right? it's the realm of and this is again part of the patriarchal spirituality is this elevation of non-attachment for so 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 long right elevation of um, detachment of, of witnessing of even mindfulness I think has that quality of let's detach and just watch the moment watch our thoughts watch our breath watch the feminine (laughs) not get tangled up because again there's this such deep ancient programming that it's the maya it's the illusion it's the seductress it's the dangerous realm right so in this realm of consent I, I love this question about consent because yes when we drop into the realm of the feminine we start to feel there's a contact happening with each other in every moment. And there's an under the surface negotiation and conversation happening in every moment. That's deeper than our mind. That's deeper than um, what we might agree upon. I mean, I think one example of this maybe is, you know, two people could be coming together for an intimate exchange. And, um, you know, perhaps something is not fully right for one of them or both of them. If they're tuning in and listening in a deeper way, perhaps there's an attachment happening in the space or an impact or a meeting happening in the space that um, is very real. But on the realm of the mind, they're going to say, I think this probably happens in polyamory a lot, you know, in the realm of the mind, they're going to say, oh, yeah, we have this agreement. It's fine. You know, we're going to we're going to make love and then I'm going to go make love with someone else. And we've agreed that this is fine. (laughs) But in the deep, right, there's a whole different level of of impact and exchange and contact happening. And if we're not listening and attuning on that level, and I love this bringing in consent, um, we're not taking care of ourselves and each other in the best way, you know? Yeah. So it's a different kind of intelligence. It's a different kind of, and I think that if we if we were attuned, we wouldn't have so many messy consent yes. experiences, right? I think that if we were attuned, you don't need to, you know, may I touch your leg, may I touch this, are you okay, you know, all of that. When there's attunement, it's apparent. You know, we can feel and sense when the body and the heart of someone is open or not, or when there's hesitation. It's a whole different realm of wisdom, intelligence, and again, one that we have not been entrained or in touch with for a very long time. It's the realm of the feminine. Yeah.
0: Very well said. I understand that you've listened to my episode I did with Rianne Eisler, the author yes. of Chalice and the Blade and Sacred Pleasure and many other yes. many other books. Um and she offers a very necessary, I think, um frame around uh teasing apart this understanding of patriarchy as Generally, a shorthand tends to mean, you know, like the domination of men or the rule of men, right? The sort of yes. the dysfunctional rule of men or the oppressive rule of men. I'm seeing the culture at large. And I think that Rianne has done a really great service in that she's really teased that apart and actually said, okay, wait a second. What we're actually referring to is a culture of domination, of which, you know, men are subjected to the same um, uh, impacts of domination as well as women in different ways. And So in some sense, not to excuse poor behavior, uh, you know, of course, Mm -hmm. that's not what I think what she's doing either, but to really bring forth uh, a way of looking at it, I think, which just is a lot more spaciousness in order to work with. And so, as you said, you know, you were inspired by that in terms of your work, I understand as well. So I would love to see how did you approach that um, offering that she did, you know, and how did that Mm. awaken in you or how did you end up incorporating it into your um, explorations?
1: Mm. Well, first, I think I just want to say that it this word patriarchy is really a hot button, and it's really tricky. And I've actually spent a lot of time contemplating using a different word because it does carry such an implicit sort of um, bad men, bad men, men are men are evil, men are doing bad things to women. And um, I, don't, I don't actually see patriarchy as that. I see patriarchy in my definition, which is maybe closer to Rain Eisler's, as um, a collective loss of contact with the deep feminine
0: mm-hmm. in
1: both men and women. And I think men are very harmed by this, by having um, the, the feminine half of their psyche soul and their contact with the feminine... Um, be bullied and beaten out of them Mm. um so it's a it's a collective loss of contact with the deep feminine and i would say again an imbalance towards valuing the masculine ways of knowing and perceiving reality the masculine forms of embodiment the masculine value system um, that's what I would call patriarchy. It's an it's an imbalance, right, towards the masculine, um, and this is, lives in men and women. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, that I think that her work is so important because she she explores how did we get here? How did we get here? We used to we used to be somewhere else, you know, and I think patriarchy has, has become sort of like the water we don't even notice that we're swimming in. Right, it's so implicit in how we engage reality and engage our moment and engage each other that we don't really even notice. And I think, I think we don't even really know what the feminine is. I think a lot of people think the feminine is maybe our emotions, um, being soft, being weak. Right, that's still a pretty big association. Um, that's how disconnected we are from what the feminine actually is. I will say you know the chalice and the blade right so she writes about how we used to be a chalice culture and then we became a blade culture. The blade being the the symbol for domination, violence, war and the chalice being um, the symbol for, you know, the more goddess, right? It's the round, it's the circle, it's it's pleasure, it's life-giving, it's the big-bellied goddesses, it's, it's Mother Earth, it's the nectar, it's the sweetness, it's the one taste that we all get to be a part of. Um, in my work, I've taken it a little bit further again into embodiment, that there is a way that we have been entrained to, to hold our bodies and our perceptions and our minds as a blade, to dominate reality, to dominate our moment, to get on top of direct experience, rather than to receive, to let the moment and reality pour in. There's something that gets contacted there that's very profound and very subtle but it's it's like it's like meeting the one taste the source right that lives in all of us that's in every tree and rock and plant and animal right it's the web of interconnection as a direct experience you know and again it is that fulfillment i think that we're all hungry for it's a direct experience of fullness the chalice as um that which can be filled with the elixir of life and i think that's what we are chasing and consuming and trying to get to i love that you brought in virtual reality that's just so yeah it's like maybe we can build the feminine maybe we can build a perfect model of the feminine right but until we learn how to receive and attune right and drop underneath into the body and savor. Savor is a big part of it too. Savor rather than consume. Um, we're never going to meet the fulfillment that we crave.
0: That's beautiful. You know, you, as you spoke of that image and in, in, in referencing again this, you know, externalization of the feminine or this desire to build a replica, mm-hmm. right? It, it, it's a funny, it struck me. I was like, oh, wow, yeah, that is... <laughs> it's sort of playing the game of of object that the feminine is an object outside of that's oneself it. and therefore that's right. yeah the seeking of it, it it conjures itself as something outside of you that you're always trying to merge with in a way instead of internally accessing yes. uh, in the moment uh, as the gateway
1: that's right that's right yeah and i, I think we see this very commonly um with with men in particular that you know the seeking of a relationship with a woman to finally have contact with this thing that he's never been allowed you know that has been really deeply um, made taboo particularly if you're in a male body Um, I would also say just to highlight again I might have said it already but you know not only is the feminine not an object outside of us that we get or consume um, it's also not something that we do uh, it's more like a different radio station it's a different channel of reality really is how I experience the feminine the deep the what I call the deep feminine current um, and it's one that we access through different doorways in our body and senses but it sort of illuminates reality in a totally different way you know and and yes one that is much more interconnected and intimate and fulfilling, I think.
0: I'd love to hear a little on these gateways that you speak to.
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm glad I'm glad you're mentioning that because yeah in in my work, um practices are a really big part of it, you know, this is what makes it different than just like theories, right. So, um, one of the major gateways is to inhabit the back of our body. We tend to live on the surface of our body. And that's part of our blade. It's like the bow and arrow. We're always going somewhere. We're leading. We know where we're going. It's that linear, like um, intentionality control, right? when we inhabit the back of our body we start to experience more being and receiving it's a different a different space starts to open there's also what i call um vertical time or depth time versus linear time so um it's perhaps a little bit tricky to describe it's much easier if i'm if i'm guiding someone into it but so our our way of being in the moment tends to be slightly anticipatory we're anticipating what's next and where it's going it's the horizontal moment we lean into time right we anticipate what's coming next this is also a great you know I love when, when you speak about consent, there is something too. It's like the way that we make love or meet each other in intimacy can also be applied to the moment. So this anticipation of what comes next takes us out of intimacy with the depth of reality. When we stretch our moments out and we actually reach down into the depth of the moment and find that we can, ex- we can slow down time, we start to touch a deeper space. Um, that's, that's a way into the, the feminine current. Another one of the main ones is um, savoring through our senses, actually learning how to savor what we see, what we taste, what we hear, what we smell, what we feel, um, not for the purpose of the object of that which we're savoring, but because of what opens. Where we go when we do that. The answer to your this is the answer to your question: What are these doorways into the deep feminine current? Those are some of the main ones. Softening the belly is another big one. We tend to have a habit of pulling up and in our belly sort of holding that warrior stance right when we drop the belly right like those big bellied goddess uh, statues of old right there's a transmission there there's a reason why Um, our vision of god at one time was a big bellied woman right the belly the belly is key the soft belly also connects the flow between our sex and our heart, you know, naturally and organically. I think one of the, one of the things that's happened in that warrior sucking in, armoring, holding through our belly is it's cut off the, the conversation between sex and heart, which is a big part of the chalice culture, right? Sacred pleasure prior to the blade um this this direct experience of you know it's like you can imagine um there's such a split now between eroticism and innocence right between sex and the sacred and these are really not two things they're actually one thing they're actually one taste when we enter the feminine um frequency of reality it's very apparent that these are just one thing you know,
0: I'm reminded of a few words of Martin Shaw. He's a storyteller from England, but he said something one time, and maybe in our conversation, he said, "A woman knows when she's being looked at or beheld."
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Yes. Well, and that's another gateway is the, um, you know, looking from the back of the head and the back of the eyes uh, it's very subtle and it seems very simple but we tend to shoot out our looking you know, through the front of our face we tend to grasp after what we see and when we um, drop into the back of the body the back of the head, the back of the eyes uh, there is an intimacy with what we are there is a beholding that starts to happen absolutely, absolutely yeah, I love that you said that. Let me just really receive what you said. A woman knows when she's being looked at rather than beheld. Yes. Yeah, exactly. You know, I would say, can I share one thing about that? Yeah, please. <clears throat> you know, because I worked so, so intimately for so many years with men in the realm of of sexuality and embodiment and intimacy, you know, I worked very directly with the um, the program of objectification that lives in men, right? Kind of the pornographic culture and habituated. Um, I think this is all just—it's habituated, it's programmed, it's taught. You know, it's not our natural way of being. My God, not at all what I came to understand and realize was that this is my theory (laughs) men objectify women as a way to conquer the feeling of profound vulnerability of being that impacted by a beautiful, erotic, embodied, radiant woman when a man you know, sees a woman that he that that ignites this kind of inspiration, attraction, it touches him in such a way that is very vulnerable, naturally vulnerable. There's a right, it's like to behold a beautiful woman, it's like we forget our own name, right? We just sort of there's this automatic reverence and kind of taking your breath away that happens. And because we haven't learned how to drop in receive behold welcome the vulnerability of receiving of being impacted the instinct is then to conquer to get on top of and that's what objectification is in my in my view maybe one of the one i want yeah
0: <laughs> what do you think about the jungian take on this that you know they'll often say that oh that's clearly uh you know the man's anima projection right uh, and, and and that's right. his internal feminine you know seen outside of himself and you know for women often it's the animus right is the male projection elsewhere which you know has been debated for many decades i think and how useful it is and but um mm-hmm. i what do you think that has value in that sense or do you think that also kind of creates a muddies the waters a bit from from the purity of actually that moment, that encounter, that contact.
1: What's coming to, to say in response is, again, I do think that the existential angst of our time is the collective loss of contact with the feminine, and this goes for men and women. But I think that toxic masculinity really all comes down to the disavowed feminine in men, 100%. And um, it's not their fault. It's been indoctrinated. It's been um, enculturated. And so I think that disavowed the intensity, you know, to whatever degree. I think it's a, it's a huge, huge healing and brave and courageous act for a man to get in touch with his feminine. And I think it's one of the most important things that men can do. And I think when a man has not taken that, that journey... To really get in touch with the real feminine, again, this is not like his emotionality or his softness, but really, really, really the true deep feminine, um, which in no way um, takes away from his masculinity, you know, if we really understand what the feminine is. I think that he is far less likely to project that uh, anima onto onto women. Is it anima or animus? So I always get them mixed up.
0: Anima, because I, I in my head I did that. I did the phonetic yeah ma mama, actually anima anima ah yeah. ah, okay,
1: that's helpful, so I think he's far less likely to do that, and i think I think to the degree to which a man has not integrated or um you know healed his psyche from from the disassociation from the deep feminine, the more likely he is to project that onto onto woman, yeah
0: yeah, I think there's truth to that, I think. You know this to me also solves a bit of what Robert Bly talked about in Iron John uh, which you may be familiar with you may have read but it's the book yeah uh, Iron John is sort of the book that created or ignited the mythopoetic men's movement you know back in the early 90s uh that one alongside King War, Magician Lover right of course Yes the, I've read that yeah, one you know mm-hmm. these were the kind of two main pillars of that moment for for the men and you know he talks a lot about the wild man in in Iron John and now it's become a little more part of the lingo in men's work right but I'll just say that he does talk also about this idea, he says, the soft man, right, um, that got in touch with his feminine, but lost the capacity for fierceness. Mm-hmm. And so I guess I hear also what you're saying that, you know, you know being receptive to the emotionality and to um, softness, you know, is helpful and, and necessary, but it's not quite the deep feminine, like you're saying, which is sort of a kind of like a deep orientation to the generativity of life itself is how I'm I'm hearing it. And that, in fact, one can show up and must show up fiercely, I think, in protection of that, actually.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that the misunderstanding of the feminine as soft and emotional is actually a very patriarchal and objectifying idea of the feminine. And it's pretty insidious. It's pretty insidious. <laughs> I think mean, most people have some kind of concept of, of the feminine as that. Um, if, if a man were to get in touch with uh, the deep feminine, I would not say that it's getting in touch with softness and emotions, though, certainly every human being should know softness and emotions i mean that's part of the human range <laughs> i think i think we all should definitely be able to feel our feelings and have softness for sure but um i'm speaking more about the capacity to receive through the body receive oneself receive the moment and receive other um being in touch with the wisdom of the heart which requires dropping deeper than the head center right so so women's bodies have actually i think a more organic built-in advantage at getting at the deep feminine because our center of gravity is the hips right whereas men's is more top it's the head and the shoulders So the wisdom of soma, the wisdom of the deep, the wisdom that comes through the feet, the pelvis, the belly, right, when we drop down and listen from those spaces, when we savor rather than consume, yeah, when we, uh, yeah, again, receive, it's hard to explain what receiving is. (laughs) But hopefully you can feel and sense something deeper and beyond my words but that is what i would say getting in touch with the deep feminine is mm. yeah
0: it's interesting i do hear in you the it's like the conundrum of trying to use let's say a, a technology of language for example yes exactly and and that that's and yet, right. here we are right and, and yet there's still value in that and but i appreciate being able to name the limitations right yeah
1: Well, and I would invite people to feel what's beneath and under, underneath and behind my words, and the space that I'm speaking from. Because a lot happens there. That's the other thing. Yes, language is limiting. And yes, as we spoke about in the beginning, right, the alphabet versus the goddess. Language is intrinsically and inherently opposed to and Uh, obscures the deep feminine right takes us out of contact with the deep feminine so yeah using vocabulary to try to talk about the deep feminine is this funny oxymoron but we do have the capacity to listen and receive from a deeper space than just our conceptual listening and hearing so that's a conversation that's happening right now as we you know geek out <laughs> with our, heads. it's like that's also happening right now. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Well, this brings me to the thread that initially did catch my eye um, a little while ago, and I'd love to read just a little bit of it because, in some ways, it it, it treads the ground that we've already touched upon, but also I think also adds a bit more to it, in particularly around this uh, relationship of trauma and and how that shows up in in relating. So, I'm just going to read a little piece of it. You wrote, what has been called femininity is actually a trauma response called fawning. What has been called masculinity is actually a trauma response called fighting. Gender programming, as we have known it, is rooted in trauma. Love, as well, has been confused with trauma bonding. Liberate love from the trauma bond. Liberate the true masculine and feminine essence from gender programming and trauma-based coping mechanisms. Pull the trauma bond and gender trauma up by its roots. Come out of the ancient dream. This is too good, so I'm keep reading. the t- The truth is in the soil. Love is in the deep. We are so much more than this. Hmm. And it caught my eye. I'll just say because I'm. You know, it's interesting this territory because somebody listening as well might say, you know, maybe they heard it, this kind of, you know, the feminine is receptive and Shakti and the masculine is the Shiva and the witnesser and, you know, this kind of stuff. And and I'm not saying we're getting there. I, I think we're speaking about it in a way that hopefully is more uh, precise. And at the same time, I do think this layer, what you're speaking to, is really much alive. And it's harder to see in when the water you're swimming in is like that's the water. And you know, around this question of trauma or like gender programming, you know, then you get into territory that a lot of non-binary folk, queer folk, you know, have done so much work on because they often are the more, um, ones to confront a lot of that programming, let's say, or be the recipients of, you know, violence and of, Mm -hmm. um, judgment and all the rest. So it's like, it's, it's understandable that that's been more sort of visible, you know, in that confrontation. And yet I'm curious, like, how do you begin to approach this stuff? Because if one says, okay, it's all programming, right? Or all the gender's programming, you know? So it's all a construct. Like that's where it goes often, right? With, Mm -hmm. uh, I think, and when I read about a lot of like feminist theory on gender and things, Mm. oftentimes it can go there. It's like, Mm -hmm. yeah, we just got to throw out gender entirely. It's all oppressive. And for me, that's part of what feels like a trauma response, right, to say it's all a construct. You know, we got to get rid of it. Um, And so I feel like you're kind of touching in on this here and it, you know, caught my eye. Based on the number of likes and comments, it seems to have caught the eye of others too. Mm-hmm. And I would just love for you to unpack that a little bit. Yeah. You know, what we call femininity is a trauma response called fawning. And what we call, what has been called masculinity, is a trauma response called fighting.
1: Mm hmm. Ooh, so juicy, this whole masculine, feminine thing, isn't it? Um, so, first of all, yes, Shiva Shakti, the masculine as um, the free-flowing awareness um, pure consciousness silence stillness emptiness permeating all of reality beyond the beyond the beyond the transcendent truth right uh, the feminine shakti the undulation of energy and the magical creation of form and imminence beautiful these beloveds eternal beloveds um, it's the, the, t- the tantric tradition right um, I feel to say that my inspiration to write that post <laughs> was not exactly trying to deconstruct gender, um, but I love that we're having this conversation. My, my inspiration to write that post was because I do a lot of tracking of the fields and the trends that are happening, and there is a very large trend happening right now that is sort of a swing back from feminism, that saying, Um, you know, we need to get back to the good old days, to the original, you know, men being men, none of this soft stuff, men being masculine, men, win, women being feminine women, and um intrinsic in that is sort of David data, but like really, really, really intense, <laughs> and intrinsic to that is men dominate, women submit, men lead, women follow."
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and what I see woven throughout a lot of this is an elevation of quote unquote true masculinity as um uh aggressive, controlling, never being wrong, always being right, and really elevating this as like this is some kind of like pinnacle. <laughs> You know, as though like everything else, especially feminism, has been this conspiracy to kind of like squash. You know, and and there is something important I think to be said of that. I think that there is a a beauty and a power in um, in masculinity that's just being rediscovered right now. That's really important. Um, but what I see also is is really an elevation of um, in these kinds of circles and in this new trend. Um, That that for a a woman, you know, the highest expression that she could ever achieve as a feminine creature is to be, um, to listen, to follow, to be kind, to be sweet, to always um, trust um, what men say. I mean, it sounds sort of absurd as I'm saying it, but this is really like a trend right now. Maybe you're tracking it a little bit.
0: Yeah, it sounds a bit like a 50s, you know, caricature.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's kind of trying to go back to that. But when I really started to look at it, I'm like, well, this is fawning and fighting. These are trauma responses. These are these are. And I think that for a long time, that's, um that's what masculinity and femininity was. Femininity is being sweet. Right, the fawning trauma response is to caretake, to protect yourself from a threat by being agreeable, moving towards the threat, taking care of it, being pleasing, being agreeable, being nice, being accommodating, people-pleasing, right? Which has been a huge thing for women for a long, long, long time, right? And for men, of course, what was deemed, right, being a real man, quote-unquote, was being uh, abusive, basically, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So that's what I meant when I I said, yeah.
0: So my question then, which is, Um, in some ways, putting that together is, so what's the trauma?
1: Mm, Yes. This is what I'm curious about.
0: What is the trauma? What is the reaction to the trauma? What is the trauma? Mm -hmm. I I, I have a sense of what it might be, but I'm curious. Tell Mm. me. (laughs) Um, My take on it is that it's the loss of village. Mm. And it's the loss of land. Because... Trauma. What we mean in that sense is the dislocation, and we're talking if we're talking about you know people with Northern European ancestry, and that you know diaspora and dislocation and coming to the new world and all that, you know, different context than the indigenous folk that are here on Turtle Island and you know are living it actively, Um, but that the that ancestral trauma really um, is essentially a a fundamental lack of being at home, uh, and a fundamental lack of safety. Right. If we if we think that safety, in fact, comes from essentially being embedded in both, you know, a cosmology that is familiar to you and you know brings meaning to your life, as well as mutual life giving relationships, you know, with other people and other humans in terms of raising kids as well. You know, I, I, there's a lot here around the essentially that the nuclear family is the utter collapse, right, of the of what we used to have. And in some sense, it's no surprise that people uphold the nuclear family as like the beacon of uh, conservative sanity, right? right, in in a time when, but there's no context for actually, there used to be a lot more. And so in some sense, it's, it's the shreds that are left, right? And, you know, I don't have to pull the thread too far to say the amount of trauma which is perpetuated by the nuclear family. Absolutely, Because yeah. so much gets untended and unreflected and put on the kids and, you yes. know, all that stuff. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, I think, based on what you're saying as well, that the reactions to a fundamental lack of safety, because we don't have the vessel of community anymore, the vessel of village, the vessel of land relationship, is what you're talking about, Mm -hmm. right? It's it's, it's the seeking of safety um, in ways that are dysfunctional. Because let's say for the men, right? To achieve more, to hoard more, to create more power, all of that stuff, you know, when I talk to indigenous folk on the podcast, they're like, all that behavior would be ludicrous in a village context, right? You'd be like, what are you doing? Like, why are you doing that? But- you know when we demonize the symptoms is so often in this culture, right? Oh, people are just greedy. Oh, men are just this way. It's actually not seeing it like you're saying that it's actually a, it's kind of an intelligent response in some ways right to the threat that is actually not visible.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely coping coping
0: yeah. strategy. Yes. Exactly.
1: I love I love what you're saying here and it's it's really well connected to, you know, chalice and the blade sacred pleasure all of all of um rain eisler's work um am i saying her name correctly is it rain rian rian okay rian eisler so interesting i love her book so much but i've been saying her name wrong um rian's rian's work you know this this how did patriarchy start how did we go from where we were, which is more what you're describing—more the the communal hunter-gatherer um, collective, right—that uh, also happened to be in touch with the feminine and viewing the body and sexuality as sacred, and even you know the the source of spiritual revelation, right—the center of the spiritual life, right—the goddess and the priestess who emanated the the her, er, through her eroticism, right? It's like the secrets of the universe were revealed, yeah? Um, and of course now we have the whore which is like the, the right? Yeah. So much to say there, but mm-hmm. um, one of the movements um, into patriarchy or one of the theories for one of the many things that sort of took us from where we were to where we are is a massive change in the in um, the landscape, right? A sudden scarcity, a trauma in our relationship with the earth, which was once abundant. And this is just my intuition too, when I feel into it. Our re- relationship to the earth that was once um, abundant and life-giving, and there was a trust there, suddenly becoming one of scarcity. Right? Some kind of trauma, ice age. Right? This this radical shift, which then brings about trauma response right hoarding now we have agriculture now we have the taking from the land forcing the land um raping the land right for survival yeah and we're still sort of like inside of that trauma response
0: yeah yeah and that's the deep um i guess tragedy as well i think to recognize that you know to look out and say wow you know what i think charles eisenstein as well has written about this you know where he says you know we don't need another television set or we don't need another Mm. laundry machine you know like but the system insanely generates even more because it's like it doesn't know how to stop and so i guess i see that almost as like a nervous system right like when when does a nervous system not know how to self-regulate my understanding is when it's dealing with trauma uh Mm. and it it loses its capacity to self-regulate and so if we think of the human body a collective body as a nervous system then that's what I see, right? I see the collective body doesn't know how to self-regulate um, totally. to, to kind of come down off the alertness, right? Of like more, more, more as, as a way of trying yes. to generate safety. But like you've named here, I think that safety cannot be generated outside oneself. Mm. Um, that like you've said, I think that one needs to be able to come home to the body yes. to arrive as almost like that prerequisite to engaging with the world, not perpetuating the same uh, wake of consequence.
1: Yes, yes, exactly. And what I've tracked in my own experience and in the people that I've worked with, men and women, when we learn how to drop back and down and into the body and access the deep feminine current, then that masculine, that beautiful masculine impulse to innovate, to do, to act, comes from love, comes from devotion, comes from true inspiration, right, to serve life, rather than... um, the yeah the scarcity domination consumptive um mode that we seem to be really stuck on Mm. yeah yeah it's a bit like a trance really i mean it's really yeah it's strong the you know i spend a lot of time in what i call the deep feminine current of reality and i still feel very seduced by the collective pull it's a strong pull to come out
0: yeah yeah, it's um it reminds me of the title actually of the conversation with Rian that we did. I think it's from her words, but I said I called it "Awakening from the Trance of Domination."
1: Yes, that's yeah, right. That's which, right. Uh,
0: which you're right. It has this very ca- uh, um, conjuring capacity, right? And you know, as you move through the world, and you know, I live in a fairly rural area myself. And when I go into the cities as well, it's like, it's very seductive, right? The the reality that's conjured by essentially unconscious agreements people make about how to spend their time, what is worth doing, the media, all of it, right? So it's very hard actually to break from that into a kind of lucidity to be like, whoa, what, what actually are we doing and where are we going?
1: Yes, that's right. The water we don't know we're swimming in. Well, you know about Wetiko, I'm sure, Wetiko, yeah. So it's it's sort of like that, I think, you know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, this makes me think of um, another phenomenon I have noticed um, on, on mass, which is uh, I would say the amount of women that are coming out as witchy, feral, erotic, tantric, you know, priestess, <laughs> uh, goddess, goddesses, like you know. And I'm just saying, I'm. I call
1: myself like, feral. Is that becoming a trend?
0: <laughs> feral. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's around, you know, hmm. and. And again, I don't say that to say somehow they're copying each other. What I guess what I'm trying to say is that yeah. I do feel there is a, n- a noticeable phenomenon of women rising mm-hmm. to reclaim. And it makes me almost think of um, Bill Plotkin's work, uh, which you may be familiar with. Uh, but he talks about this uh, sort of um, in the directions of oneself or one's being, you know, there's north, south, east, west, and they each correspond to a certain quality. Um, but I think he calls, might be the south, he calls it the wild indigenous one. And mm-hmm. and in that sense, I think he just means, yeah, the one that is kind of connected once again to maybe like you're saying, the deep feminine or the pulse of Eros, you know, and it's pure yes. life's vitality. Yes. And so I, I do see that that seems to be a thing, you know, that there's a a real claiming of that and then coming out of that, that in some sense, I almost see like the f- the female ones are, are like awakening each other mm-hmm. and like standing with each other in mm-hmm. this like co a rising knowing, Yes, if that's fair to say. Yeah, and I just wonder yes. if you might comment on that because th- it seems like you've been in this for a while.
1: <laughs> been around a while. <laughs> yeah, there is. There is a rising of uh, wild women perhaps happening. Absolutely. Um, I think we have to be very careful around our, um, again, turning the feminine into an objectification and performative thing.
0: By this meaning, you think the women have to be careful not to be performed? Yes,
1: yes. I think that that's that's a risk and something that happens a lot, I think. But um, in terms of why that's happening, I mean my my sense is that at this point in human history we have backed ourselves into a corner in the anti-feminine paradigm so thoroughly that the feminine cannot help but bust through the cracks like she's coming um it's beyond our choosing our making our controlling our doing of it she's she's emerging out of the cracks out of the resistance she's you know And I think 2020 showed us just how profoundly real groundlessness is, you know? Groundlessness is is such an essential aspect of the deep feminine. It's the wild, uncontrollable nature of reality that we never, ever, ever will fully conquer, ever. (laughs) We will never, ever be able to control life, right? And we've been pretending like that's not true for a very long time. And I think it's very obvious now. It's becoming more and more obvious just how uh, how small we are compared to this great power, you know? And I think that is probably the true rising of the feminine that's starting to, you know, turn people on. Yeah, that's my sense.
0: In your work with women, what are some of the patterns that you see or the thresholds that often, you know, are recognizable in the kinds of work that, that they need to, or that you see that they need to, to to integrate or to, to explore. Hmm.
1: Well, I think again, it's sort of like the old patriarchal model is when you're a teacher or you're a bringer of some kind of wisdom or method or something that it should apply to everything. It should be the answer for all woes, right? and um there are many things that that my work doesn't touch and i'm very aware of that and i think that the the dynamics between men and women are not just um the product of patriarchy or the existential loss of contact with the deep feminine there's also the very real realm of attachment trauma and attachment wounding um but perhaps it it all does go back to the same space. You were talking about the nuclear family and, you know, all of the trauma that happens there. Perhaps a lot of our early attachment imprinting and attachment trauma comes from that, again, not being in tribe, not being in community, right? You've, been, you've spent time at Tamara. Mm-hmm. There's obviously a totally different culture happening yeah, there.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I, I could just say to that, that, you know, I'm a parent now, I have a two and a half year old and- you know, wondering about too, like how, do, how, does, one, how does a parent um, not pass on their trauma, right? This is like a, mm-hmm. a wondering that is pretty constant. And, you know, to be honest, what I've come to understand now through other teachers and, and place like Tamara is that you can't prevent yourself passing along your trauma. Uh, and this is now, you know, my teacher, Stephen Jenkinson said this one time, what happens is you will pass on your not wanting to pass on your trauma to your kid yes yes and what i've understood to be more um achieved in a sense and like and actually courageous is actually to surround yourself with other trusted adults that can mirror you on your behavior Mm -hmm. and tell you when you're out of line and catch you and love you but also firmly you know kind of like redirect you when you're unconsciously um, putting on your kids which is not theirs Yes. And it's counterintuitive, right? Yeah, because, you know, you might think like in the heroic paradigm of like I got to work on myself and I got to do it alone and blah blah blah. It's like, no, you won't prevent yourself from doing that, but you can surround yourself with trusted adults, which IE means village.
1: Yes. Absolutely. To speak to your question around um where where I see women projecting on men, um absolutely. Once I start to really um I mean, I consider my my work and what I'm teaching to to really actually be a new paradigm. It's a new channel of reality. It's a new radio station. It's pointing out the water we don't know we're swimming in and how to actually make contact with the feminine and what patriarchy is and how it lives in us how this distorted masculine embodiment way of perceiving reality has blinded us from the feminine oftentimes when women start to wake up to this yeah they do automatically go into like men like how did they do this to us like they tricked us you know and um, I don't think that that's actually what's going on and I think that that if women get stuck there they will miss the empowerment of their own choice to work with their own internalized distorted masculine right they'll just start seeing it as like something that men you know it's men and it's not it's not i mean i i've i've taught some of my primary doorways and gateways into the deep feminine current to groups of men and women and um there are a lot of women that don't get it that resist like hell that refuse to open up and receive and there are some men that like go right there so it's not like this is like you know men but again it's language words like masculine words like distorted masculine words like patriarchy can start touching into this victim consciousness and um it's tricky the other thing I will say that um, I've noticed is a huge theme for all women, and that is another big part of my work, is the Madonna-whore split. This split between sex and the sacred, between eroticism and innocence, and in a way that women, every woman I've ever worked with, has on some level of her being consciously or unconsciously grappled with this split. Has either chosen to be a good girl or a bad girl. And the good girls are um, repressing their sex, repressing their power, repressing their true feelings, trying to be nice, trying to be liked, trying to be chosen by a Prince Charming who will complete their life. And the bad girls are, um, you know, in touch with their desire and their vitality and their voice and their truth, but often um, at the expense of their own innocent heart. They've jaded themselves in a certain way because um, because of the split and um, unifying that split is such a key aspect to the true deep feminine because the the image or the symbol of the goddess before the great split before patriarchy was profoundly sensual and profoundly sacred profoundly erotic profoundly innocent profoundly embodied and profoundly wise right we don't think of sensuality and eroticism and wisdom as going together right like at all that that is so close to the core of the of the deep feminine current and i think what's interesting to me is that i see in present day in our patriarchy the water we don't know we're swimming in is that a lot of women's groups this connects to what you were saying about the feral thing. This is it. I've got it. <clears throat> what I see is that most women's mystery schools or work on the feminine or, or whatever we want to call this is still in the split. It's either kind of the vibe is like Kwan Yin, Mother Mary. It's very upper body. It's very transcendent. It's very light. It's very pure, right? The divine feminine it's kind of wispy, disembodied, you know, love, loving, kindness thing, and then we have um, on the other side the women who are really getting down with their eroticism and their power and their passion. Like this is the divine feminine. This is the goddess, right? Roar. And of course, they've lost. Um, they've lost connection to the to the source, right? to to the sacred and i don't mean that conceptual i mean really as a direct experience right so again upper body lower body madonna whore um the this is the way that the feminine and our image and our symbology around the feminine has been split in half and that's a huge part of what my mystery school is about it's one of the things is that the unification of that split creates a whole different emanation and transmission. And it's not just something for women to like performatively embody and be, but it's a, an essence and an energy and a frequency of reality that we can get in touch with. That for women is very profound when they realize that they've been playing this split out in their lives. You know.
0: Thank you for that. I might offer um, my take on it from the masculine side. If, if that might be might be useful.
1: Well, the Madonna horse split came from Freud, tracking men men's experience with women. You know, there's women they want to marry who they respect and then there's women who, but they don't feel sexually attracted to them. And then there's women who they feel erotically charged by, but they don't respect them, right? that That's where the saying yeah. comes from. Yes. Yeah.
0: And I'd be happy to offer a little mythic frame, which me, yes. you know, Rian might have touched on this um, in Sacred Pleasure, which I have, but haven't read yet. I mean, I, I have okay. ordered the book after. <laughs> but for me, this is actually uh, also drawing on some of Tamara's work, which I thought was really profound and how I understand the 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 development of a young boy um both uh you know biochemically let's say but also mythically is that the boy grows up of course and the mother is everything right the mother is the source of nourishment and and the great mother herself right and that at a certain point uh when adolescence starts to kick in that there's this shift of course where the boy ends up kind of discovering you know their sexual nature you know starts to come online and in the Western culture, at least, I'll just speak from there, there's this split that happens then. Yeah. And what they, Tamara, kind of tracked and they understand is that if a mother hasn't integrated her own erotic you know, wholeness in a sense, she generally re- reacts to the boy in two different ways. One is she ignores that sexuality is coming online, you know, it's a bit like uncomfortable by it, it doesn't talk about it um you know the kind of classic walking in while the boy's masturbating you right. know kind of thing in the room and of course all the shame that comes in with that for the boy mm-hmm. um or she becomes de- deliberately the kind of like spiteful and and maybe like oppressive right that's gross yes. don't do that um and so what happens is the boy re- realizes in that case that his kind of awakening eroticism costs him the love of his mother mm. Right, which is a heartbreaking separation, right, from in that dynamic. And yes. so what I think happens then mythically as well is there's this split, which is the essentially as the mother as the pure light, divine, you know, source of everything, and also these awakening erotic um, elements, right? Of 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 like, whoa, the curiosity, and then that split happens, which basically is the mother and the, you know, erotic Lilith, let's say, even Lilith can no longer coexist. Mm. from that moment and if we think about that from a you know mythic perspective culturally if we think of patriarchy as essentially that very thing boys who have never gone through a proper uh initiatory journey from boy into man and essentially reoriented their relation to the great mother um, as earth herself and not you know you know human mother or their own human mother um then they also carry that split and so Mm. maybe i want to offer this to say that for women as well in a quote, patriarchal culture, there are real consequences for them behaving as a good girl or as a bad girl. Absolutely. That's, I guess, what I was, I think you're naming as well, that it's not like they sort of like, oh, I just, you know, they just developed it. It's like, oh, I see, I'm favorable. You know, if I'm the woman that goes home to mom, you know, the boy wants to take me home or, you know, I'm attractive and I can draw attention when I express my sexuality in a certain way, you know, but I'm relegated to the underworld. Um, as yes. you know, so much of pornography and and all that is in this culture. So, I guess what I'm trying to say is offer that as the kind of complete picture that that mm. I see that that's where it comes from culturally and and from the men's side. And then I see, of course, yeah, as you say, playing out as women and their need to reclaim the unification of that.
1: Yes, beautiful. Yeah, I think that I think that again, um, it starts to get into perhaps edgy territory. Um, but less so if we consider the unified split between sensuality and innocence. So if a woman is integrated as a mother in her eroticism in her sensuality... Right, not in a way that is um, violating the child's boundaries in any way, exactly. but in a but in a way that it's not hidden. It's yep. not like her secret little life, where like over here I get to be a sensual embodied erotic being, and then um, over here I'm the pure mother. Right, um, when that is you know subtly emanated through her being, just by her own embodiment. I can see how that would have a very different impact on the the sexuality of her children, male or female. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and I think I think this this what you shared so beautifully about the experience of men coming into their sexuality and being shunned by the mother, I think a lot of women experience the same thing with their fathers, you know. Um feeling either um lusted after in subtle or overt ways or rejected because he's afraid that he might do that or you know it's just like we don't know what to do with this burgeoning shakti and this these curves and this energy that's coming online we don't know how to honor it we don't know how to be with it in a respectful way so let's just reject it and that's very wounding for women Mm -hmm. also you know part of the split
0: thank you for that yeah and it also reminds me again of why it's so valuable to have other trusted adults you know in the Mm -hmm. field because then their their models of you know masculinity and femininity can have all sorts of diverse expressions yes right and it doesn't rely solely on you know the one mother or the one father to be everything uh, and to be that one source of you know this is the way it should be or not so again that village intelligence is so necessary Um,
1: absolutely
0: and sadly, we are coming to the end of our conversation soon. Aww. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> perhaps I would love to invite, if there is a particular poem that you may feel called to to close our conversation today.
1: Hmm. To speak live, you mean? Yeah. Hmm. Oh gosh, I've got my book right here. <laughs> I always make sure it's within two feet of me at all times. Wonderful.
0: (laughs) Never know. See, This this is how you bless a poet. You you invite them to offer their poetry.
1: Oh, gosh. Um, Let's do this one. So one of the things that I find really interesting the deeper I go into this, what I call the deep feminine current is the difference between what we have known and understood power to be and what power is from the perspective of the deep feminine so i'm going to read a poem from my book omega feral secrets of the deep feminine and it's called the truth of power true power is not power over It is not the dominator paradigm. It is not the polarity of powerful and powerless. True power erupts from the deep underground. It rises up from the earth to dance inside your vessel. It is the pulse of creation wed to the intuitive spark of this moment it is crazy wisdom and ferocious innocence it is free from agenda and surrendered to outcome it arises spontaneously from the heart of the mystery It is a gush of creativity, a momentary potency, a wave in the ocean that belongs to no one. It is a current you can ride. It comes and goes like the wind. To know this power, you must become permeable, available and open to receive like a tiger in the bush listen, listen with every cell of your being listen in the moment of that pounce self and object disappear in the seizing of that current, only pure life remains.
0: Mm. I'm just receiving that fully.
1: Thank you. Mm. Mm.
0: Maya Luna, what a pleasure.
1: Yeah, so good to be with you and just really appreciate what you're bringing forward and who you are and the path that you've walked and these questions and conversations that you're having. Mm. Really, really honored to be here. Thank you.
0: I'll keep going if you do.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. I'm here for it.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of The Mythic Masculine. If you enjoyed what you heard, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and sharing this episode on your social media. Also, you're invited to join the Mythic Masculine Network, a growing community of artists, activists, poets, parents, and lovers of mythology, ritual, and wonder. We're co-creating the emergence of a culture of belonging, oriented around tending the masculine soul. It's a beautiful, intimate platform, and I'd love to have you connected. Visit themythicmasculine.com network to learn more.